Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Merry Christmas. Hey, it is Christmas Eve. Can you believe it? Uh, We are here uh, right on top of Christmas, and so uh, today, uh, I'm just so thrilled that you guys would uh, choose to come and spend some time with us this morning. I pray that this is a blessing, the worship and opening the Word today is just a blessing to your Christmas, and uh, focuses in on what really is important during this time of the season. We're in a series entitled Home for Christmas, and we've been talking all along over the last few weeks about how this world is not our home. That, that heaven is actually our home. We're, we're created for something better than this. And God in eternity past has put eternity in our hearts, our souls, and we wrestle with things in life. And it's because this is not our home. And my prayer through this entire series is that regardless of where you're from, whether your things are going well for you or whether you're struggling this, this Christmas season, that this is bringing some hope and some joyous expectation of what is to come. And so that's the idea behind this entire series. And I know as we get closer to Christmas, uh, my family gathering, things like that, I started thinking about, you know, one of the greatest things about Christmas are the family get-togethers. Even if they're chaotic, like crazy, right? And I remember all these different years, especially when our boys were growing up, and we would go to, you know, grandpa and grandma's house, and everyone would gather. We'd be all under one roof, and just the chaos that was family. Anyone? Is it just my family that's chaotic? Like, it was crazy, just the the level of noise and and the food that was consumed and snacking and all the stuff that was going on, and you're like, I don't need another piece of chocolate, but I'm going to have two more, you know? And, And Christmas movies or Christmas music going on in the background and people, you know, gathered in the puzzle room going over the puzzle and the kids going, you know, just running amok in and out and just everything that's happening during the Christmas season. And I think there's something in that when we, when we spend time with the family and, and maybe, maybe you're with your family right now, maybe some of them are with you today and, and you're gathering and everyone's under one roof and there's just something that's right about that. You sit down and share meals together, and, and uh, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, Christmas morning, and the kids are going to kick you out of bed early, right, and uh, want to get to the presents. And, and there's something right about just gathering with our family, about being home for Christmas. There's this belonging. There's this family aspect that just sits right with us. And some of you, I have to acknowledge, are, are probably on the other side of that. Maybe this Christmas season you're struggling because of some difficult family situation has disrupted your Christmas. And maybe it's divorce or whatever it might be, and you're facing Christmas um, alone right now. Or maybe, worse yet, you've lost someone, and you've got that empty chair at the table, and, and this Christmas you're wrestling with that, and it just... You're struggling because you know that Christmas is supposed to be that time where you gather with family and, and you're missing someone and it just doesn't set right. Instinctively, we know that it's, just, it's not right. And I want to tell you that all of those feelings, good or bad, come from this, this 
this desire that God placed in us that says, you know what, the relationships in our lives are what's most important. Relationship with God himself first, but also with each other. There's something about family that he's created us for. This desire to belong and to be loved and to be known is deep within us. And it it came from God. It's not just distinctly you. It's all of us, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. Today, what I want to do, whether you're coming from a, a position of really enjoying this season or dreading it, is I want to give us all some hope today by pointing to a family reunion that is to come. And what I want to do is I want to do it a little differently today. I want to follow some light. Uh, Hopefully this will make more sense as we get into it. But uh, just to tell you up front, the light that I'm talking about is the morning light. That'll be the first one. The second one will be starlight. And then we're going to take a look at a sunrise that I think will eventually kind of lead us to this place of this expectation of a family reunion that is to come. And so if you have your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, I will tell you up front, we already read part of this, or the majority of this passage. We're going to take a piece of it and dive into it a little bit. So you've already heard this. It's going to sound familiar, I hope. Uh, but I want to draw something out of that this morning. And uh, it's, it's about morning light. Now, it comes out of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you don't know who they are, Zechariah was a priest in the temple and his wife. Uh, they were up there in age. They hadn't had any children, and there's this moment where he is in the temple, he's burning incense, and the angel Gabriel visits him and tells him, look, you've found favor in God's eyes, and and God is going to give you a son, and he's going to be a great man of God. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Savior, which is Jesus. Now, Jesus and the the son that they're talking about is actually John the Baptist. That's who Zachariah and Elizabeth will have. And John the Baptist and Jesus are going to be cousins. But this prophecy is coming, it's, this proclamation is coming to Zechariah. And Zechariah is struggling in believing it because, as he said, we're up there in age. We haven't had any kids. How are we going to have kids? And, and if you want some fun this Christmas season, go back and read this in Luke chapter 1. Because it's a great exchange. Because it's almost like Gabriel snaps at him, like, you're a priest, like, you should understand who I am, and that what I'm telling you is from God. Because he says, look, I stand in the throne room of God, and I'm giving you this message, and you don't believe it. So because of that, you're not going to be able to speak for the entire time that your wife is pregnant. Now, I know some of you ladies in here that have been pregnant before, you're like, man, I wish that had happened in my, right? But here's the thing. This entire time... He doesn't get to speak. He goes home. His wife becomes pregnant, and they give birth to this son. And when when he's born, they ask Elizabeth, what are you going to name him? And see, that was an important thing, because in this first century Jewish culture, names mean everything. And she says, we're going to name him John. And they argue with her. Why John? There's not a single John in your family. That's not a family name. Why would you name him John? And they go to Zechariah, who has not yet been able to speak, and he takes a tablet. He writes down his name as John. And in that moment, he regains his speech. And I love his response because as soon as he gets it back, you want to know what the first thing he does with it? He praises God. He worships God. It says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to prophesy. And that's what we read during our directed prayer this morning. And today, um, I just want to dive into the last portion of that. Verse 76, it says this. 
He's prophesying about his son, John the Baptist, and also about Jesus. And he says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Now what Zechariah is doing is he's prophesying about the birth of John and Jesus. And he's saying, look, there is a dawn uh, coming. It's a new spiritual day. It's going to change everything. And, and the messianic title that he uses, this morning light of heaven, is very unusual. Some of your translations actually translate it into day spring. But it's this word that when it's translated, it could be translated as east or the east, which is very interesting. But he's saying he's the morning light, he's the day spring. And it's important that we understand that he says, look, it's, it's this morning light from heaven. And it's going to break upon us and it's going to give light to who? It says to those who sit in darkness, to those who are in the shadow of death. And maybe you feel like you're in that place this morning and you need to know that's why Jesus came, that Jesus stepped out of heaven and he he stepped into our darkness. He stepped into our mess, into our chaos. Why? Because he wanted to be with us, God with us. He came to us to guide us, it says at the very end of verse 79, to guide us to the path of peace, to bring peace into our chaos, to bring peace into our darkness, into the shadow of death. Now this title, Morning Light of Heaven, that's translated, it could be translated the East. It's the same word that's used three times to describe the wise men and the star in the East. Uh, The star in the east was the light that led these wise men to the morning light himself, Jesus Christ, when he's born. Now, about 30 years after Zechariah prophesies all of this, um, Jesus, the light of the world, begins to teach. He begins to heal. He begins to go throughout all of Judea, raising the dead and casting out demons. And Christ's message to sinners was for them to place their faith and trust in him. This caused darkness to bristle. It caused evil to flee. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but not everyone loves the light. I say that because I know I'm speaking to a large group here this morning, and and I know statistically there are some of you in here who have not embraced Jesus or his gospel. And maybe you haven't done that because you enjoy the darkness You enjoy where you're at right now. You enjoy what you're in. And I want to tell you that God came for you. You need to know that God loved you so much. He came for you to draw you out of that darkness because he has something better for you. He wants you to come into the light. Now, to appreciate the light, I think we have to understand the darkness that came before that. The darkness through the Old Testament, the Old Testament just tells the story of mankind, how from the very beginning, the original sin, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, we just see the steady decline of mankind. We spiral into depravity. We, we find ourselves in these horrible places, and we cry out to God, and he redeems us, and then we go right back to the mess that we, we had before. We just continue to, to pursue after our own desires and, and to, to walk away from God, to turn our backs on him. 
And the Old Testament actually closes with a promise of a new light coming. Uh, The last chapter in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 says this. But for you who fear my name, look at this, the son of righteousness, another light, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The morning star, Jesus Christ, came into our life. He came to rescue us. Now, when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament opens with another light. It's the star that we see in the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men came from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, nearly 600 years before this happens, um, Daniel is in captivity in Babylon, and he's prophesying about the coming Messiah. And his prophecies have captured the attention of these wise men, or in some of your translations it says magi, it's the same thing. But they've carefully calculated by watching the stars and by you know, measuring everything out, they, they're expecting the arrival of this Messiah. They've been following the prophecies and watching for this for hundreds of years. And these wise men or these magi were actually these pagan priestly people. They're from a tribe there, and most scholars believe from the kingdom of the Medes or the Persians. And they followed astrology, they followed astronomy, they studied science, and also they wielded tremendous power. A lot of scholars believe that they were called the king makers. One scholar in particular says that no Persian king was legitimate unless the magi had crowned him. This is what they did. And in this moment, we find them on a mission to crown the king of kings, the king who would end all kings, the one that would establish the kingdom that would be eternal. For hundreds of years, they'd been waiting. And when the star finally appeared, they knew it was time. The time had finally come. And so they loaded their camels with gifts. They set off searching for this newborn king. And can you imagine this entourage as they entered into Jerusalem, what kind of commotion it would have created? I mean, I just try to imagine the picture, what, what stir, what did it cause within the marketplace when they came into Jerusalem looking for a newborn king. And it says that they go to the palace, they end up going there because where else would you go to find a king, right? But to the palace and they find King Herod and they ask King Herod. And it says that King Herod was disturbed as well as all of Jerusalem with him. Why? Because they knew what kind of king King Herod would was. He was ruthless. Now, these fancy foreigners, I think, would be hard to miss as they roamed around looking for this king. And and when they find themselves in the palace asking King Herod about this newborn king, King Herod can't even answer their question. I think for the wise men, this had to be strange, right? They'd been following the prophecy for hundreds of years. They knew what it meant. They'd have been expecting him. And yet, when they came into town, these people who this Messiah was actually coming for was unaware. They weren't even really expecting Jesus to appear. They weren't looking for him. And the wise men must have thought to themselves, don't you even know your own scriptures? Are you not paying attention to what's happening around you? So while these Israelites slept spiritually, these wise men were waiting expectantly for their Messiah. They asked 
King Herod, and King Herod doesn't know, and so he goes to his scribes, and the scribes go back to the scrolls, and they bring it to the wise men, and they say it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. And so he says, look, why don't you go to Bethlehem, find this newborn king, and when you find him, come back and let me know so that I might, and this is the line that he used, that I might go and worship him myself. And thank goodness the wise men were wise, and they received a word from God that said, don't go back and tell him because he's just going to seek to kill Jesus. And if you know the story, it's a sad story um, because he eventually does go in and wipe all the young boys out in Bethlehem from the age of two and younger. But yet... When they're given the direction to go to Bethlehem, it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if you're here this morning, maybe you're part of the family and this is where they attend, or maybe your neighbor invited you this morning, and and you're in this place where you're not real sure that this baby is actually the king of the world, I want to invite you to do the exact same thing that the wise men did, to seek him, to search for him, because I promise you, Jesus is not hiding from you. And actually, God promises that he will be found if you search for him with all of your heart. And I want to encourage you, this Christmas season, if if you don't believe in Jesus, open your heart, open your mind, search for him, get into the word of God, start reading, spend some time in prayer. And if you don't know how to pray, it's just to cry out to God, to share with him what's going on in your heart. And God will meet you where you're at. I promise you that. The desire for all of us is to come home for Christmas, to be made right with God and right with each other. And when you find him, I promise you that you'll respond the same way the wise men did. They got on their knees and they worshiped. They gave him everything. The wise men still seek and they worship God. And the question is, do we? Are we this Christmas season? We've talked about the morning light. We've talked about the starlight. I want to talk to you a little bit about a sunrise. See, because this this baby born in Bethlehem would grow into maturity. He would become a man. He would live a perfect life. And Satan himself would try to stomp out this morning light at the cross. But I love what the text says because it says they placed him in a tomb. And three days later, at sunrise is what it says. I, I just love the fact that that's in there. At sunrise, the women who had watched Jesus be crucified, who saw where he was buried, they actually come to the grave and they're expecting to anoint his body with spices and they learn that there's another type of sunrise that had just occurred. Uh, The sun, the S-O-N, had risen and death and darkness had been defeated and the Son of God had risen from the grave. See, from the manger to the empty tomb, the morning light brought light into our lives into our darkness. Christmas is a celebration of this this advent, this birth of this Savior that came to us, this morning light. The the wise men found him by the the starlight, and then he changed everything in that first sunrise on his resurrection. A, A new day visited us in that lonely manger. It changed the course of mankind. It changed all of history. 
But see, as amazing as this is, and, and the fact that we get to celebrate this every year is, is phenomenal. But here's what I want us to get today. If you miss everything else, get this. There is still a future sunrise that is coming. There's a new day coming. The Old Testament closes with the promise about this future sunrise, about what will happen, this future family reunion. Now, I know this is strange. Here we are at this uh, you know, Christmas Eve service, and I'm going to read from Revelation. But I don't think that's odd at all. Uh, I don't think it's odd at all because all of Scripture is united. It tells one story from beginning to end. And when we get to Revelation, it talks about the second coming of Jesus, the second sunrise. And Revelation chapter 22, last chapter in the entire Bible, verse 3, it says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no light there. Get this. No need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them, and he will reign forever and ever. There's a day coming when there will be no more darkness, when Jesus will come back. We celebrate his first coming at Christmas every year. We celebrate his death and resurrection at Easter, but there's a day coming when he will return again. It goes on in verse 16 to say, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne, get this, I am the bright morning star. It ties it all together. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. You know what he's saying? Come home. Come home. See, Jesus' first coming, what we celebrate at Christmas every year, started this restoration project to restore all mankind back to God. It's why he came. He came for each and every one of us because God loved the world. He sent his son. We're in the middle of the first and second coming right now. We're we're under that new covenant. We get to celebrate because Jesus has already come. He died and he rose again. And so we, through believing, through repentance and believing in him, can be made right. We can come home and we can enjoy that life now. We can partner with the Holy Spirit and the work that he's already doing. We can share the gospel with the world around us as we prepare for the second coming because Jesus' second coming will finish the restoration project. On that day, those who believe in Jesus Christ will experience a family reunion like none other. Uh, Whether you love yours or don't, there's one coming that is going to last for eternity and is going to be beyond anything we can imagine. There'll be no more pain, no more goodbyes, no more tears, no more body aches. Anyone? Right? No more brokenness. Angie and I uh, were talking this last week, and uh, we have two sons, and you know we're enjoying family right now and, and all of that. And I was talking to her, you know, my dad had, uh, he was one of seven, my mom was one of five. And so I always thought I would have six kids because that's right in the middle. That seemed to be just right, right? And so uh, when we got married, uh, we started off hard. Uh, We lost our first son two weeks before delivery. Uh, She was diagnosed with lupus, and so we knew that was going to be a complication. Uh, The second one was um, 
the best nine months of her life because she went into remission. It was perfect. And we thought, well, this is, this is awesome. This is the way this works, right? I uh, got pregnant again, and that was the worst six months of her life. Um, every complication, I say six because he came three months early. I uh, should have lost him. And so after that, we just said, you know what? This is bad. I about lost her. I about lost my, uh, my next kid. And I'm like, we can't do this anymore. We just need to be thankful for what we have. We have two sons. And we, began, we stopped after that. And uh, we were talking this last week about, you know, um, what would it be like if we'd have had six kids? Some of you know. You can answer that question, right? But you'll probably agree with this. We, here's what we said. If we had had six kids, you know what it would have done? It would have multiplied our joy. But here's the opposite of that too, because if I just stopped there, it would be a lie. Because it would have also multiplied our sorrow as well. Because that's the way life is, right? It's the way it is. And, and when you have a large family, it multiplies your joy, but it also multiplies the struggle and, and the sorrow that you experience as well. And I, I think what's true for a family is also true for God's family. It's true for the church. It's the same with us. As the church grows, it multiplies the joy, but it also multiplies the sorrow. And here today, the same it can be said because we have people in here who are joyful through this season, and there are people in here who are sorrowful through this season right now. And it multiplies with the people that God brings in. See, when Christ was born, the reactions to his arrival ranged from everything from worship to worry. And I think this, it's still the same case today. Now, whether you love Christmas reunions or you struggle with it because you're alone, there's a day coming. I want you to get this. There's a day coming when he's going to return. There's a day coming when eternity will dawn and it will start forever. And we will be able to come home and not just for Christmas this time, not just for a day, not just for a couple of days, but we'll be able to come home forever. And there will be this eternal family reunion like nothing else. Something that will exceed anything we could ever imagine. Jesus came to this earth, God with us, so that someday we could go and be with him. He became God with us so that someday we could be with God for all of eternity. This is one of the celebrations of Christmas. And regardless of where you're at this Christmas season, I pray that that just gives us hope. That we know that however good or however bad it is, that someday God is going to come back and he's going to set things right for all of eternity. Let me pray that whether you're gathering this Christmas with family or whether you're alone, that God would meet us right where we are and that he'll fill us with this joyful expectation of the eternal family reunion that is to come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that, first of all, that you loved us, that you sent your son for us, Lord, that you, through your son's sacrifice, have made us right with you, that we can experience a close relationship with you and with each other. God, I pray that this Christmas, whether we're enjoying what's happening or whether we're dreading it, that you would just meet us right where we're at. God, fill us with this joy and this excitement of what is to come. Uh, let us know, Lord, that uh, even if it's great this season, that it can't hold a candle to what is to come. And for those that are struggling this season, Lord, let them know that you're right with them, that you haven't forgotten them or forsaken them, but you were with them even in this moment. 
God, I just pray that this Christmas um, wouldn't go by without us recognizing your love that sent your son and the sacrifice that your son made so that we could look forward to an eternal family reunion. God, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for this season. And we ask that everything we do and say just glorifies your name above everything else. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen.